0: I want to thank this episode's sponsor, Castellanets LLP, a leading law firm in tax controversy, white-collar criminal defense, and government negotiations with offices in New York City and Washington, D.C. Visit www.kflaw.com. This is the podcast for women who want to create careers and lives they love. I'm your host, Heather Fincher. Welcome to the Powerful Professional Women podcast. I'm happy to have Grace Perez Navarro here today for part two in front of a live audience to share her experience and insight into creating a career in life you love. Grace is a global public policy leader with more than 35 years of experience in law, government, and executive leadership. Until her retirement in April 2023, she served as director of the OECD Center for Tax Policy and Administration in Paris, where she led the OECD's tax work. Grace is not only a leading authority in global tax policy, she is also kind, generous, and gracious. Welcome, Grace. I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Heather. It's great to be here. So in our last episode, you shared your story and gave us actionable insights on courage, and it was awesome. I particularly appreciated your encouragement to always be like thinking about what we find interesting, fulfilling, what we're passionate about, and to courageously pursue that staying true to ourselves. I loved that. And I'd love to hear another story from your experience. Tell us, when have you said something to another professional woman that made a difference for her?
1: Okay, well, I was recently with a friend, non-tax person in the technology area. Um, nothing to do with tax. And uh we were enjoying some time in Martha's Vineyard, and she told me she had just applied for her dream job. And I was, I just said casually, well, did you get any recommendations? I mean, it's your dream job. And she's worked with some high-level people in government and in academia and elsewhere. And uh, she said, no, do you think I should? I said, absolutely. And she was like, oh, I hate asking people for favors. And I was like, just do it. If this is your dream job, pull out all the stops, right? And so I finally persuaded her. And I said, you know, I know that the people you're asking for recommendations will write, like I always do when people ask me, sure, happy to do it. Um, and so sure enough, she finally did ask uh, three people for recommendations and they did say yes. And so that was good. But I realized, I know it's hard for me to ask anyone for a favor. And to me, it's always easy to give advice to other people rather than take my own advice. And I know it's yes. very hard for me because I just, yeah. I don't know, I have this feeling like I have to do it on my own. Mm-hmm. but. I have realized that to get beyond where you are, you can't always, and you shouldn't have to do it on your own. There's no shame in asking for help from people who would be happy to help you. So right. uh, I hope it's worked out for her. I haven't heard any news yet.
0: I love that how you said. Um, so it's it is. It's so difficult to ask for help, but what I find when I when I can do it (laughs) people love to help it's like almost like a gift you're giving someone to be able to give give in return so it's it's a beautiful you know kind of way to connect and to connect Um, but it takes that courage going back to our first episode to to reach out so that's beautiful advice that you gave for so in your work at the OECD grace you were dealing with a number of different stakeholders um so for women who are listening with dealing with different stakeholders, give us a little context as to your experience with stakeholders and what practical insights can you share about what you learned?
1: Okay, well, at the OECD, um, it was a very, very different environment from what I had dealt with in the US when I was working for the government, because in the government you have, you know, you'll have your, your bosses, internal stakeholders, Um, you have obviously the taxpayers and um, that's kind of it. And then you do your job. But at the OECD, we have the internal staff, we have the upper management, we have our member countries, we have the other countries that we work with. um, And then we have business and we have Uh, NGOs and all of these different stakeholders have different views. Rarely do they all see things the same way. Mm -hmm. So it's a very, very challenging and stressful uh, environment um, to work in. It's also very exciting, but trying to manage all of these different interests and, you know, even within these groups, like not all businesses have the same interest. Like we were recently working on taxing the digital economy. Well, there are digital companies, there are different types of digital companies, and so they have different issues. And then there was the broader group of companies that were also going to be involved. So um, it's very hard to manage all those things. But for me, what I found was very useful is really listening to people. Mm. You can't always give everybody what they want. You rarely can, in fact, when you have so many stakeholders. But I think it is important to listen to people, to f- try to find uh, a path, a common ground among the different stakeholders you're dealing with. Um, and hopefully you can get there. And we were able to do that on a lot of very difficult issues. I mean, you know, if you think about our having to reach agreement on bank secrecy when some of the OECD's own members. We're living off of bank secrecy. That was no easy feat. But I, I think the key remains listening, trying to identify what would be helpful to the particular stakeholder and trying to see how you match that up. And sometimes there just isn't anything you can do for someone or for a country. Like we had one country come to us recently and they were having a particular problem they wanted us to help them with we had told them this problem was coming they knew it was coming but you know so the the bureaucrats within the government knew it was coming but getting legislation to do what they needed to do to avoid uh bad consequences um was not so easy and so i think it just helped that we listened, we tried to do what we could, but ultimately there wasn't anything we could do or that they could do, but they still appreciated it. And we still kept them, you know, in our sort of sphere of trust.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What did you do? Did you ever, do you have a people pleasing side of you? And what do you, how did you grow into this beautiful maturity around like listening and understanding what What they're coming with, what they want, and trying to find common ground. How did you get there, Grace?
1: (laughs) I, you know, I don't really know. I always, I think, I always was a good listener. Um, Mm -hmm. People used to tell me that, which was kind of strange. You know, at conferences, the speaker would come down to me and say, "Thank you so much for listening so attentively." Um, So I was always a good listener, but I realized that just hearing people makes a difference. Um, Of course, Mm -hmm. that isn't always going to win the day and getting uh, to achieve the goals that you want to achieve in the work. But um, it is, I think, an important thing that often people, as they move up, lose sight of. And it's just Mm -hmm. a basic skill, especially Mm -hmm. when you're dealing in diplomatic circles. It's really important um, Mm -hmm. to listen. Because that will help you identify what are um, the possible areas for maneuver in negotiating
0: right. an agreement. Right, right. Awesome. Thank you. Few more questions. What do you know now that you wish you could tell your younger self when you were starting out in your career?
1: Well, I think uh, the main thing I would tell myself is that all that stuff about networking is not nonsense. It does matter. I used to think like, huh, networking, social media, those things don't matter. And I realized um, too late, in my opinion, that these Mm -hmm. things do matter. Um, But I think the way you approach networking is important because I think we we all have different ways of doing this. Some people, like, I guess the negative impression I had about networking was going to a networking event and pressing the flesh, shaking hands mm-hmm. with everybody and trying to make contacts. But networking can be many different things. And so mm-hmm. I, I realized, for example, I wasn't, I didn't set out to be networking when I joined a French class at the OECD. Right. But it turned out that several of the others in my French class ended up becoming directors or deputy directors at the OECD. And these relationships that we had formed in learning French together um, helped me deal with issues when we were dealing with like technology. One of the people in my French class was the director of science and technology at the OECD. Another was uh, the deputy director of environment. And so These contacts, these connections did help me later on. And so, what I would say to my younger self is don't poo poo networking, just do it in a way that you're comfortable with. And that means getting out and doing things you would like to do anyway, and you will meet people because the important thing is just meeting people. How many times Mm -hmm. have you met someone just at a party at random, stuck on a train or something, and that connection? has been useful later in life.
0: I mean, it's happened to me a lot. So I that would be my advice. So true. Oh, it's so true. <laughs> it's almost that the negative feelings, it's almost like the negative feelings around networking. It's almost like um I think of when I'm going to take something, but when I approach it, when I'm just going to connect, I'm doing something that I love. I'm just living my life like you're talking about, or you're going to give to someone or really like reaching out and connecting, um, then it's then it's like a, there's a flow and um richness there that's really meaningful.
1: This was one of the reasons we set up the women's network at the OECD was to make it easier for women to connect. And like we have a a book club within the women's network. We have different, we have speed networking events and and other types of activities that would um, attract women to The activity, so whether it's a lecture on, you know, different topics, whatever, this would bring women to at least network with each other.
0: Grace, that's wonderful, and I love that you created that. You were part of that, and now it's it's still going, right? I mean, that's oh yes, it sounds, it's still going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, what a gift that you've given. Thank you. What insight can you share with professional women who are your peers, Grace? we've been talking a lot, focusing on maybe folks more junior in our careers, but focusing on your peers, what could you share?
1: Well, I think for my peers, I I would say that, and maybe this is not true everywhere in the world, but what I found when I went to the OECD was that it still was very much a man's world. This has changed a lot over the last few years. And so, I would say to my peers, there is strength in numbers, and that's why, again, we formed the women's network, and that's why it is important to maintain those contacts among women. I I, I do think it's important. The contacts with men are also important, but I think women, especially in that environment um, where it's still largely dominated by men, I think it can be really helpful. You know, this was one of the the sort of shocks when I went to the OECD that it was so male dominated because when I worked at the chief Counsel's office, it really was 50, 50. I, I just thought, you know, those issues were behind me, but, uh, it was a very different world when I got there. And so to me, that's what, what I would say. And I always like to quote Madeline Albright saying there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. And I think it's important, especially for women at my level, to be helping those below mm-hmm. and and bring them up and, yes. and help guide them through their careers.
0: What, if you can dig in a little bit, in what ways, what are some of the ways that you uh, have done that you've helped younger women, guided them through their careers or anything, any other practical insights or? Well, I've been
1: uh, a mentor to women. Um, I you know, I we have a whole mentoring program within our women's network at the OECD. We also had, as I think you mentioned in the uh, earlier introduction, the our global forum launched this leadership and transparency program where they select. I think it's around twenty women um, each year. This is now the second year, so I was. Um, I was involved in the first year. And the idea is to help them grow professionally. And so there's the mentoring part, but there's also the substantive part. And so mm-hmm. there, there is some training on the substance of yeah. the transparency, exchange of information, sure. legal framework, et cetera. So um, those are some good ways. So I would say, you know, women should try to step up and provide, it doesn't have to be a formal mentoring program. You know, Mm -hmm. women used to say to me like, well, how do I get a mentor? And I said, you know, if you don't get a mentor through a Mm -hmm. formal program, Mm -hmm. then find someone and ask them to mentor you, find your own mentor, you know? So um, I would just encourage senior women to Mm -hmm. be more actively involved Mm -hmm. in helping uh, younger peers.
0: Mhm mhm mhm. Thank you Grace. And it's about the the connections again that you're really digging into the the number the you know um power in numbers force in numbers and and reaching out and whether you're in a senior position reaching out and being willing to mentor or whether you're in a more junior position like reaching out asking how important it is to step into that. Yes, and
1: again that even the
0: mentoring can be
1: networking one of the women uh that I'm I mentored through our formal net mentoring program, uh, worked in an area that was completely different from mine, um, but, and worked on gender issues. And so when we started doing more work on tax and gender, then uh, our work uh, was more um, relevant to each other. And so we ended up working together on different issues. And I, I learned a lot from her. I've, I've learned a lot from everyone that I've mentored. So yes, I think it's yes. not a one-way street
0: and can be right. very beneficial. Very rich. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Grace. Why don't we wrap up with a question? What are your three keys to success, Grace?
1: Well, <laughs> I think there is no substitute for working hard. I, I just think We have to work hard. I worked hard. And I sometimes feel women have to work harder to prove themselves. Mm But that so that is number one. Number two is to have a passion for what uh, you are doing, whatever it is. Um, For me, I I believed in public service. I loved, you know, tax. Sounds crazy, but I I do love tax. And uh, I loved working in an international environment. And so, all of that, you know, the public service gave me a great sense of purpose. And so, I would say you should have a passion for what you do, whatever field it is. And that will make uh, your career more rewarding. Um, and then flexibility. Uh, I know when I was, uh, you know, becoming a professional in law school or whatever, and people always used to talk about, you know, having a five-year plan. Where do you see yourself in five years or ten years? Yeah. And um, I never had that. I really didn't. Hmm. I I did manage to change positions and and end up in a great place, but. I think it's largely because I was so flexible when the call came. Do you want to go to Houston, Texas, to go work for the IRS? I said yes, I'll go. Was that you know my ideal place to live? No, but I thought I'll go. I'll see what it's like, and you know I did want to do tax work. Um, same with Paris, and and the other choices that I've made. And so I think it's important to be flexible. Um, because the world is changing so rapidly. I mean, when I was younger, people would often go into a job and expect to stay there forever. And many, certainly at the IRS, many did stay, um, even in business. Like I know people who went to, became corporate and and they ended up staying there after a career in the government. So one or two jobs. But today, especially in in technology, but not technology, even in the legal field. uh, People are jumping around from different firms and moving. And I think it's important to have that flexibility in mind um, and not be wedded to, you know, by the time I'm, you know, 40 years old, I want to have done this, this and this. Um, For me, it has worked not to have those kinds of goals Mm -hmm. and kind of go with the low, but go with my gut too.
0: Right, right. I really appreciate that because sometimes I can feel that I am like, I I should have this set plan or starting out in my career, especially I felt this pressure, like a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. I really need to have it all together and going with the flow has been beautiful and rich and meaningful for and for my me and my life. And uh, I wish I could have heard what you had to say earlier so I would put less pressure on myself, Grace. <laughs>
1: Well, look at you. You've started this podcast. That was probably not in a five or 10 year plan. No, no.
0: Oh, Grace, thank you again so much for being here today, for being on the podcast. I'm, I'm grateful for all that you have courageously shared and been open with us today. I also want to thank our live audience who have been with Grace and Me today for all of your support and positive energy. And for each one of our listeners, I hope you leave this episode inspired and empowered. Let's get out there and create careers and lives we love. Good luck, everyone. I want to thank this episode's sponsor, Castellanos LLP, a leading law firm in tax controversy, white-collar criminal defense, and government negotiations, with offices in New York City and Washington, D.C. Visit www.kflaw.com.